Amen. You can have a seat. Thank you again so much for being here this morning. Um, I don't know, I don't know if I can eat one more hot dog. Friday night, we had a great time hanging out with the, uh, the youth group. They had an event at uh, one of the family's houses that were, uh, that were it's, it's, they've got kids in youth group. They help out. They volunteer. And uh, it, was, it was a hot dog roast. They had some barbecue and stuff. It was, it was great, but they roasted hot dogs. And uh, I, I got up Saturday morning. Um, I knew, you know, I don't know if you get up Saturday morning, you kind of already know the game plan. Like you and your spouse maybe have already talked and, and, and you know exactly what's happening. Um, that doesn't happen a lot at my house. We're just not that together in life. Um, we had, though, I knew uh, the Walk for Life with the Pregnancy Network yesterday morning. It started at Longdale Baptist Church, and there was a, a route that we walked through. We had a great time just fellowshipping with, together, just celebrating uh, generosity that, has been, that was given in. Um, I think it was 116 uh, women were sponsored fully that would choose life for their unborn baby. So we were just really excited to hear that news and just get to be a part of it. Um, when we ended that walk, and they were there, and it was some gracious people that were there to serve, and they, and they were so excited. And by the way, um, just so you know, too, just as a thank you, um, one of the guys that's their church liaison came over to me before the race started, and um, he was actually confusing. He, he, he had it confused between uh, Reedy Fort Community Church, which if you don't know where you're at this morning, that's actually where you're located. Um, but on Yanceyville, there's a Reedy Fort Baptist Church that's over there. And sometimes we get each other's mail, and sometimes people show up at each church, and you know, we just welcome people in, and ultimately, hopefully, they find the right place. Um, but he was confused about which one was which, and then when he realized that we were Reedy Fort Community Church, just to say, just to kind of share his thank you, um, at the in, our end of your offering, 90% of it went to support the ministry that they've got going on, the counseling and all that stuff. And he, he just talked about how um, the end of 2020 was the first year in a long time that just really almost no support came in, um, just as really kind of a last wave of, of thankfulness and just helping. Um, and he said, man, you have no idea. He said, please let your people know the impact that was had and the excitement and the refreshing of our staff just because we were able to receive that generosity. So thank you so much um, for being a part of that. Um, but that aside, we, we got the walk done. It was only like two miles. So I mean, you knew, like, it was fun. It was too fun to really call exercise. But they had waters, fruit, and then a bag. And you know what was in the bag? Hot dog. Um, <laughs> and then we went to a birthday party for a family here at church yesterday. And, I mean, they were so welcoming. They grilled out hot dogs. And last night, my father-in-law, it was his birthday this past week. We celebrated with a cookout. Guess what was there? Yes. I've been invited to two birthday parties today. And, and if I get a hot dog put in my face <laughs> one more time, Mike, Mike Lozano, we had lunch this week. That man bought me a sandwich. I didn't realize how much of a gift of grace of God that was just to eat a sandwich that had something on it besides a hot dog. So... I don't know if you can handle all that amount of hot dog well. If I just drop mid-sermon, you know why. It's the sodium level. It just took, it took me out at the knees. Uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 8 this morning, uh, not talking about hot dogs at all. Um, Acts 8, is a, as far as our walk through Acts, this is a real pivotal point because we, we just saw, if, if you were here, you heard, if you remember last week, we just saw the first martyr. You don't know what the word martyr means. It's someone that, is, that, that their life is taken um, as a result of their standing of their faith. Um, we talk a lot in churches about Christian martyrs. Uh, Christian martyrs are not the only martyrs that exist. Um, you can be a martyr over any measure of faith that you have. 
So we, we see the first Christian martyr in Stephen, and, and we heard his story, and we saw how God really worked through him, and, and we see the evidence that Jesus was even pleased at, at his stand of faith. And his, his presentation, his sermon, I hopefully, if you listen to last week's message, you realize that his sermon was not just stalling for time. It was, it was as, as the Word of God shows us, it was really his knowledge, the time that he had spent really learning who Jesus was, how to live for him, and, and the complete guidance of the Holy Spirit as it, as it built it point by point. And I hope you were able to see that. If you, if you didn't have a chance to really catch up on that, you can go back and listen online, and hopefully really God shows you some things um, that you can apply. It, what starts in chapter 8 is now an explosion. And it doesn't happen because everybody's just happy and it's easy for, for believers. It's actually, it comes out of great persecution. But there's some lives that are, that are committed to Jesus Christ that, that were not on, not on the easy get list. Nowhere on that list. These were significant beginnings of real relationships that had impacts that we don't, we, we, a couple of them specifically, we, we well, one we really know. One we can we can look at history and we can pretty much figure out. The other one we don't we don't really know, but we see something significant really happen that comes out of it. Um, we're, we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit about that today, but also I want to kind of give you a little bit of forewarning. Um, we're gonna also go a different direction today than than maybe what's obvious when we read these first four verses, because that's really all we're gonna be in in, in Acts chapter eight. Because I believe there was something that the Lord um, really showed this week that I think will help us. Just to, just to walk through it. And, and I don't read just, you know, kind of try to shotgun verses out and just pop, pop, pop. But I want to look through several places in Scripture and just read some verses to make sure that we really can grasp onto um, the significance of the life that God calls us to live in Christ. Um, and, and, I, and I pray that this really, really connects with you and really is a help. Uh, we're going to start in verse 1. Now, verse 1 is really a continuation of chapter 7. Um, it's divided up this way, so it's going to start with one statement and then take a, what feels like a real sharp direction. Um, or a redirection. Verse 1, Saul agreed with putting him to death. That's all about chapter 7, about putting Stephen to death for his faith, for the reasons that they brought him up, some charges that they trumped up and made some stuff up about him. It continues, on that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church. Okay, severe persecution. This is not defined by believers were asked to wear masks. I, I don't, I'm, I'm not making a joke about that. I'm just saying... Um, just as a, as a simple look back over the last year, I really believe what we as an American group of believers would call persecution is, is really, it would not even be a blip on the radar um, in many centuries of, of the Christian church. I mean, really what they went through. Um, this kind of persecution was, was somebody breaking in your house, not just saying, hey, don't gather to worship, but you getting dragged out, abused, beaten, put in jail, killed if you continue to profess Christ. So this persecution starts. On that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. Now, we say, well, is it just against that one church? No. The believers really haven't moved anywhere yet. Remember, remember just really that great organizational plan that we read in Acts chapter um, 1, verse 8? You'll be my witnesses. And, and it gives the, the concentric circles to go out and spread the gospel all over the world. Still just in Jerusalem. Still just right there on lockdown. It says, and all, uh, they, were, they were dispersed, um, uh, it came against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. Now, a few things with this. Number one, uh, the word scattered. Some translations say dispersed. This, the, the word that we have translated that way 
in, in Greek really carries this idea of seed. So in other words, it would be like taking a scoop of some kind of seed and just kind of throwing it out there. Um, it actually has that root word of seed in it. You know, you know what? I think that's great encouragement. That's great. Um, just, uh, it's a great truth for us to really look at. When believers get persecuted, it, it, persecution, and, and I wrote this because I wanted to make sure that I said this right because I've heard this um, said to me several times in my lifetime. Persecution serves the unstoppable mission of God. As believers, when we go through difficult things and it feels like we're scattered or, or maybe it's not, you don't see yourself really moving place, but you feel like your life is just scattered, it, it's, it's scattered with the same idea that seed goes out. When seed just gets thrown out there and it lands on ground, sometimes it doesn't take root, but, but many times it finds a home in there and it starts to begin to germinate and take root and it grows into something because the gospel grows. That's what it does. It's living and breathing. So when these people went to different areas, they didn't just go to find another home. They weren't just kind of going to get away from hard times. Where they were pushed to was exactly the place that God had already told them. Jesus said in his own words, I want you to go and I want you to share the good news of who I am. Because look at it. Where, where did they go? Throughout the land of Judea and Samaria to the very places that they weren't going on their own. You ever needed a push in life? You ever kind of come to a place where you're just like, you know what? Like, I, whatever my mindset has been, my, I've kind of conditioned myself to a certain thing, or maybe I've gotten a little bit passive or a little bit lazy, or, or maybe I've just kind of become content with something that I shouldn't be content with, and something happened, and it's like you almost feel like somebody just comes behind you and just really gives you a shove. And sometimes we, we, we don't like it because we don't like to feel pushed, but sometimes it's after that feeling kind of just eases off for a moment, we're like, you know what? I needed a little bit of that to really get me going. I, I needed a little bit of that for me to really look out and go, you know what, God? I can be more responsible for the life that you've called me to live than I've been. And that's, that's a lot of what this is. And, it, and it, wasn't, it wasn't easy areas. I mean, some of these were people that, that naturally, what was ingrained in their culture was, don't talk to them. Don't go to them. Don't deal with them. They're, they're not as they're not as lovable to God as you are. And this is a lot of the area they went to. So that's the idea. Scattered like seed. Um, but, but it also seems like there's a little bit of unfairness here. It says that the persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles. All except, like, why did these individuals seem like, why, why did they not get treated the same way? Is there, you know, does, is God kind of building a hierarchy here with, with people that are kind of in charge or whatever? No, he never builds that hierarchy. It doesn't exist in, in Jesus' kingdom. No one because of job, vocation, calling, giftedness has any right or responsibility over another believer in Jesus Christ. It honestly came down to a culture thing. Some of these folks that were getting really persecuted harshly were Greek-speaking Jews who became Greek-speaking Christians. That's what Stephen was as well. So when they saw this, some of these people, they saw a connection between the one that they just put to death and they hated so much and they just got really violent with as compared to some of the apostles that you would know and I would know, Peter and John, guys like this, who were Aramaic-speaking Jews who became Aramaic-speaking Christians. In other words, their, their Jesus commitment still considered old culture. It doesn't mean that they were better off and really... They all, if, I mean, if it's about Jesus, then it should be about Jesus and everybody should get treated the same. But honestly, they just didn't stick out as much. So they weren't forced to go 
like these others were forced to go. Verse 2, it says, Devout men buried Stephen and mourned deeply over him. There's a commitment that we see um, to to Christ, and not just to Jesus, but also to other people that we're connected with. Uh, For someone that's put to death suddenly, for someone that's put to death suddenly in this culture, um, and it's really true of Jesus, it's, it's true of Stephen, if somebody's put to death suddenly like this, the, the assumption is you're, you're criminal. You, you've done something that you should have never done. And even in death, it's a hands-off process. Like that, you, don't get the same, um, you don't get the same funeral service. You don't get the same um, body prep. You don't, you don't get any of the same treatment that someone that just dies of natural causes, someone that's well thought of. You, you're just, it's hands-off. It's cold. I mean, it, 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 but for somebody to come in and say, you know what, I'm going to go through this burial process for this person. I'm going to step in here, and I'm going to love not just the memory of them, but I'm going to love on their family, and I'm going to love other believers we're connected to. And I'm not going to care about what everybody else says because we're, we're going to be faithful to love people like Jesus says to love, even if it's difficult. So just for them to step in and mourn and grieve over him, this was a bold faith move. You know, it, and it seems to us, if you say, hey, what's, what's a bold move for Jesus? Most of us think, well, i got to somehow come up and, and become this person that just, like, just, like screams Jesus at everybody. Like you're just going down the grocery out the store, somebody's getting bread, you're like, ah, you know Jesus. I mean, like we just think it's like, like what does it mean to like really stand up for him? So any, any, anything, any meaningful, purposeful, intentional thing that we can do for somebody and, and love on them that, that's a result of the love that Jesus has put inside of us is a significant gospel move. We just had a, a funeral service. Um, there was a service that I did um, for uh, a couple on, on Friday. We had a service here a couple of weeks ago, and I saw people just do things in love in those moments that, that just showed that there's a love of Jesus inside of people, and it's got to come out. And that's gospel living. Um, it's, it's sometimes, I think it's more normal than we think, even though we feel like we've got to become unnormal to be a Christian. Um, verse 3, Saul, now this is the one who ultimately becomes Paul. Saul, however, he, he, was, he, was not, he was not mourning. He was not deeply moved. He was not loving. Um, Saul, however, was ravaging the church. He would enter house after house, drag off men and women, and put them in prison. Um, if you follow church tradition later on, we see that, that people were put to death um, through this period of time. Somebody that's getting ready to be saved. Uh, the same salvation that comes to us in Jesus Christ, um, regardless of, of past and all those things. Verse 4, so those who were scattered, again, remember, it's the seed going out. They were scattered. They went on their way preaching the word. Why is that significant? They went on their way preaching the word. Because that was God's plan all along. The places that they were sent, even though it was through and by persecution, the places they arrived at, they were faithful where they went. Can I tell you a, a verse, and, and again, just to, to show that Jesus, this is, this is his big game plan all along. This is something that Jesus said back in Luke chapter 21. Jesus basically tells his disciples um, that, you will, um, that you will lay hands, uh, people will come and lay hands on you, they will persecute you. Um, they will put you in prison. You will be brought before kings. And this is how he closes this short statement to these disciples. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. You go, hang on a second. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And like, geez, that, I want a different opportunity. right? Like, I, I, I'm, I want to clock out on that one, and I want to clock in on, um, I'll be the one that prays before the meal. 
Like, that's a good opportunity, right? Like, that's a good one. That's why I love being a preacher. I love when people, you know, we got food. What are we going to do? We're gonna, we need somebody to pray. You look across, you scope them, and you find them. Yep, that's the guy right there. That's my prayer. That's, that's my designated prayer. Never was a designated hitter in baseball, not that good. I couldn't be a designated hitter in softball. But I, if, you, if you got a party, you got a family event, I'll be your designated prayer, okay? You'll never have to worry about the blessing again. We want to we clock in for different ones, right? We want to get to the easy ones. Jesus said, listen, you'll have an opportunity to bear witness. Bear witness. And it, it's, it's been used a million times, and maybe you think it's been overused, but it's really a simple example. Does the light shine brighter? Does it seem like in the darkness versus in the daylight? Darkness, right? But is, in fact, that light any brighter in the darkness than it is the daytime? No. No. But as a comparison, man, it seems brighter. It seems more useful. And I believe so much of this is what God's after. He, he, he really, God can achieve anything. But God has a sincere desire to use available people who are willing to live for him. Not, and, and, and I don't know what dedicate your life to Christ really kind of is, is in shape and in form in your mind. I have found in my lifetime, um, dedicating my life to Christ as just a believer or a husband or a dad or a son or a friend somewhere, um, as a pastor it's become, um, most of the time, the thing that tends to form in my mind, he, God occasionally has to come in and just, you know, like the game, like break the ice, that you got the little hammer and you knock the little cubes of ice down and eventually it just fall, falls apart. He kind of has to come in there and go, got to break that up. Like, we're gonna, we got to knock a few pieces off of this. You're making it something that is not really... And, and he has to do that process in me. Now, just as a, as a foreshadowing, what, what's, what's the result? What's, what's the, what do we see as far as faithfulness comes out of this? Um, th- and three individuals. I just, we're not going to read their stories, but I want to just mention to you. Simon the sorcerer, um, he, he's the first one up. Um, when, when Philip, faithfully just where he is, goes and starts to just love people and, and share in ministry, there's a guy who has been practicing um, witchcraft, and magic, and he really amazed people. Was he able to do things through a, a, a satanic power? Was he able just to deceive, kind of smoke and mirrors? I don't know what his tricks were, but he amazed people with what he could do. He started listening. He started listening to the gospel. He, he got amazed at the signs and wonders that believers were doing through the power of Jesus Christ. He made a profession of faith. Now, did he understand everything right away? Nope, not at all. In fact, he came up to Peter and John. He was like, hey, look, I want to give you some money because I want to be able to do what you're doing. I want to be able to do things you do. So I'll pay for the ability. Teach me. And they looked at him and they said, no, 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 no. You don't buy into God's family. You don't buy the power of the Holy Spirit. You don't, you don't, you don't purchase it for a price. This is God is going to choose you to do something. And, and what we see happening all around this is because people were watching him going, hang on a second, if you're listening to them, maybe I really need to tune in too. Because you were pretty impressive to us. We see what, what we generally call the Gentile Pentecost. What we read about in the second chapter of Acts, we see the Holy Spirit come into people that were never part of God's family, Jews, kind of the preferred-looking group of people, we see God's Spirit come into them for the first time. And it didn't just end with him. Um, Also, Philip was sent to talk to somebody that we just know as Ethiopian eunuch. If my name was Jeff, I'd rather be called Jeff in the Bible. Like, I don't want to be known as Ethiopian eunuch. Like, 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 write my name out, do something. But this is just what we were described. Say, man, well, why would we just have a description of somebody? Because of this. When, When he was found, he was reading Old Testament Scripture. 
But because of the, of the procedure that had been done to his body, he, he had a procedure done to him that, that was thought to not make him a sexual threat to someone like a queen so that they could serve that person without any desires to really cloud the, cloud the processes of serving. They wouldn't be considered a threat. They wouldn't have that drive to want to aggressively um, make a move on someone. Because of that procedure that was done to him, that person would have not been welcomed into the temple. That was the law that these very religious people had put out. You're, you're not welcome here. So you got somebody who was not welcome in what we would call the place of worship. The gospel came and found him on the side of the street. And he's just basically asking, who's this talking about? And in faithfulness, Philip just said, it's Jesus. He started where he was, and he told him all about Jesus. He gets saved. He looks around. He sees a body of water. He's like, hey, man, can I get baptized? Philip's like, yep, let's take a dip. Goes out there, baptizes him. Through church history, what we know is, is that this is the most likely birth of Christianity in Ethiopia. And then it's traced back to this eunuch who was never going to be welcome in a church environment. And then, not only that, we see, we see Saul who becomes Paul. And a guy named Ananias who's sent to him in a place that he never originally would have been. Going to a man that he didn't even want to go to because the hatred that he had for Christians. We see him being used by God to bring Saul, who becomes Paul, humbly, humbly, and that's the key, humbly, into God's family. And able, as God said, to be used to reach people that nobody else had even started reaching yet. This is, this is the direction that the church, the kingdom of Jesus Christ takes. And, and, and out of this, I think we see many times where we go, yep, that's, that's what it means. That's, like, that's, that's encapsulated what it means to be a Christian, be you know, dedicated, sold out, whatever we want to call it. And we, kinda, we always think about these moments where, where we have a specific conversation or we, we go on a missions trip or we do something really specific. And I, and, and I know that we talk over those kind of things a lot. So I want to talk over something a little bit different this morning that I really feel like God, because um, I, I honestly just going back for what I thought was kind of a final prep for this message, I felt like God just kind of just like made it pop off the page as I was reading some different things. You ever have one of those moments you're going, you just can't get away from it. You just keep going back to it. And, and, and when you're just doing other random things and you, your mind just keeps circling back around to this, I want to talk about something, and just for a minute, there's going to be a uh, kind of a circle chart thing on the screen, um, just to kind of let you know a little bit of where we're going to go with this. I want to talk about what does it mean not just to have an impact, not just to have an impact on people with a, a physical outward action or conversation, but what does it mean to just be committed to the Lord in a perspective of righteousness, dedicated to prayer in a way that we're usable by God. We're one of these people that he sees as useful and usable in his kingdom. But also, um, look at this for the, for the reason that I think many times we don't realize the impact that others have had in our lives spiritually, but also we're, we're ignorant of the impact that we could have in someone else's life spiritually because we've, we've so boxed it into just a specific action that I'm either doing or not doing, Okay. So if you wouldn't mind, if you'll put this chart up here, and, and I know there's several passages of Scripture. We're going to need, we're going to read bits of them. Um, so this is just kind of an idea of where we're going. We're going to look at these three general areas. Those you lead, 
community and beyond, and, and that's really, uh, if you call community, you and two or three friends that get together once a week for a meal or, or, or catch up on a show that you stream, or, or you call community Greensboro, or you just see that your community is, you, you feel really burdened that your community extends all over the world. This is something God has really put in your heart to just be cognizant and aware of all that goes on on this planet. Um, community and beyond, and then also family, okay? So let's, let's jump in, and I want to just kind of work these one by one. The first one we're going to look at is those that you lead. There's a passage in Psalms 106 that this is said about God's people, okay? So catch this statement. This is God giving his evaluation of his people that he sees. He says that they exchanged their glory for the image of a grass-eating ox. What happened is, as people, this is, this is referring to the time of Moses, it says that people, they gave their gold, they gave their silver, and they built an idol that they worshipped. But catch this for a second. He, God didn't evaluate them and say, they, they exchanged my glory. He says they exchanged their glory. As followers of Jesus, one of the glories of our life, um, glory is just simply um, attention that gets given to the right place generously. One of the glories of our life is just the ability for us and the opportunity we have to worship a perfect and holy God, to be in a good relationship with him. That, that in itself is a glory of our life. It's, it's something that's supposed to give attention to, to the reality that you can know Jesus, you can know God, and that you can worship him, and you can have a good relationship with him. You can be on good terms, good speaking. You know, there are people that we aren't on, we, we're nowhere near good speaking terms with, and we know those names. But we can be on good speaking terms with our Heavenly Father. That's a glory. That's something that's supposed to shine in this world. He says, they exchanged their glory for the image of a grass-eating knot. They forgot God, their Savior, who did great things in Egypt. And, and he says this. He says, verse um, 23. So he said he would destroy them if, okay? So in other words, the, people, are reading this, people are reading this years and years later. And they said, okay, this is what God would have done if not for Moses, his chosen one. Oh, because Moses was a gifted speaker. He was a great leader. He stood up in difficult circumstances. No, listen. He said, if Moses, has, uh, his chosen one, had not stood before him in the breach to turn his wrath away from destroying them. So a breach means you just kind of picture in your mind, um, and, and I'm going to explain this best I can. I, I never served in, in our nation's armed forces um, my battles have been much um, softer in life uh, and mostly have involved stuff like water balloons and paintballs and um, Nerf guns and stuff like that. Um, but if you can ma imagine really a, a strong wall that's been built for defense and in military action, somebody shoots a cannonball right at the middle of it and just blows out a huge chunk of that wall. Then, because that's a weak point, the military strategy has to shift and say, okay, now we, we, we can't just say, oh, well, I, you know, since it's not standing anymore, that's not a spot we can really defend. No, in, instead of just kind of ignoring it and trying to get by with the damage, you take your troops and you say, okay, we got to send troops in and we have to position them in that hole where there used to be protection and there used to be a wall. We're going to put them there to stand in a gap of brokenness for protection. So when it says Moses stood in the breach... Spiritually speaking, there's a big hole blown in the lives of these people into their hearts. And God 
needed somebody to step in where the hole was and deal with brokenness and stand in that gap and say, I'm just going to be here faithfully for whatever may come up. And it says that, that because Moses stood there, his, God's wrath was turned away from them. Now, does that mean that God is so like us that he, if he sees something good, like, hey, this person was nice to me. They, they were super kind, so I'm going to be nice to them. No, God doesn't, God doesn't decide on that. But God also, as he gives his word, he communicates to us, and he, and he talks about what his righteous judgment has every right to be. But he also looks for people to use, and in his great wisdom, he reveals what he does. To say that he doesn't bring his wrath doesn't mean that he was just like, oh, I think I'm going to be nicer today. Like I had a better night's sleep last night than I've been having for the, re- the last couple of weeks. I'm just going to be in a better mood today. God says, listen, I could have done this, but because I can use you, then I'm not, I'm not going to just tear it all down and start over. And God has every right to. Here's a little bit of the story. Um, it's, in, it's out of Exodus. Uh, you find it in Exodus chapter 32. Okay, I just want to read you just a few of these verses. Um, as it starts in verse 7 through verse 9, it talks about how people have turned away. Um, they, they're worshiping an idol. And, and I don't know if you remember this um, This. This, uh, this wording from last week, remember we, we used the term stiff neck. It wasn't like an insult like y'all a bunch of rednecks. It's, like that's, it's a total different neck. It, it means to simply, um, there's almost an impossibility for you to turn. If you've got a crick in your neck, it's hard to turn. My heart sometimes is hard to turn to the Lord because of selfishness and pride. God says, um, verse 9, the Lord also said to Moses, I have seen this people, and they are indeed a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone. This is a test that he gives Moses. I believe this is a test because this isn't Moses disobeying him. He gives Moses the freedom. And like Moses, if you're frustrated, if you're going to pursue pride, I'll let you pursue pride too, just like I let these people. He says, now leave me alone so that my anger can burn against them and I can destroy them. Then I will make you a great nation. Verse 11 says, but Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. Moses, was, Moses had a great moment of decision. He was, he was walking so, so close with God, he was like, you know what? I'm not going to choose me right now. I'm not going to choose me. God, I'm going to choose you. Because if you love these people and you've shown me how to love these people, I've got to put this into some intentional effort, not just in front of them, but, Lord, just between me and you. Right? I, I have found that, that my biggest mistakes as a parent are not just the times that I blow it, and I do often, and I did this week in front of my kids because as frustrations are in my heart because of things outside of my relationship with them, sometimes it creeps in. You ever have that kind of time? Sometimes you can at least nod to make me not feel like as bad of a person as I really am. Um, but but, I, but, I, but it's, it's not just in the times that I may lose my temper in front of them. Some of my biggest failures as a parent is, is a neglection of my relationship with Jesus Christ. And not bringing my sons into God's presence with my heart and my mind and my words. Just going and just parenting. And that's what Moses did right here. Listen, verse 14. So the Lord relented concerning the disaster he had said he would bring. Now, He just said, I will do this because it's a fair punishment for sin. God said that he would not bring this disaster on them. Exodus 32 in, in total, that's kind of 7 through 14. That's just the people that we lead. We've got to bring the people that we have authority over, that we're responsible for. We've got to bring them to the Lord. We've got to talk to the Lord about them because, because our overflow of our relationship with them 
is really going to come from whatever's going on if we're a Christian between us and Jesus. We've got to spend the time in there deeply. Community and beyond, what does that look like? Um, if, if you want to write it down, if you didn't get a chance to before, or if you just want to reference some verses, this is going to be out of Genesis 18. Uh, this, is, this is Abraham and the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. If, you ever, if you've heard this story, if you've been in church um, during your lifespan, you've heard of Sodom and Gomorrah, this place was about as immoral as it gets. I mean, it is just, it, it, is, it is weak on every front when it comes to morality. Um, there were two angels that the Lord sent um, to speak and to give message and to kind of affirm that he was doing something. Um, and, and the angels that went into that city, there were groups that pursued them just to have their way sexually with them. They were going to just tear the house down and abuse and beat people to be able to get them out because they just identified as them as somebody that they hadn't had a relationship with yet. I mean, that was just the drive of the hearts of the people of that city. God came to Abraham and he said, look, I've looked over it. It's atrocious. And, and I'm going to bring judgment. And, and just fair warning, at the end, judgment comes. And, and, and before you just, man, that's a mean God you're talking about this morning. If, a God, if God is holy and righteous, ultimately he keeps his word. All sin, all sin has to either be paid for or it's got to be judged fairly. And he told, he told Abraham, he's like, look, you know, I'm, I'm going to do this. And Abraham started bargaining, right? You remember, you ever heard the story? He starts off, hey, but what if, you know, you, you, had, you had Moses over here. What, what about 50? What about 50 righteous people? Would you save the city? Would you back off, Lord? Would you not bring heavy judgment if, we could, if you found 50 righteous? And he said, yeah, for 50 righteous, I'll, I'll hold back. And Abraham must have been feeling kind of like he, he was somewhere between unsure about this and a little bit bold because he only dropped it by fives. Like, I, if I really thought about Sodom and more, I'd be like, 50, 50. Mm, let's go safe. God, two, maybe two. Two, can we go two? Now he's like, what, 45. He starts to work it down. And eventually, Abraham, and somewhere just between the conversation between him and the Lord, Abraham says, what about 10? 10. God said, for 10, I'll spare the city. Well, here's, here's the trick. Um, already... Moses, I mean Moses, Abraham knew that he had his nephew Lot. You had Lot, his wife. They had daughters and sons. So let's just say that's at least two apiece. That's six. Two of the daughters were engaged because the, the story specifically mentions what's going to become their, his sons-in-laws. I don't know how you make son-in-laws plural, but however. That's eight. I think maybe Abraham felt like, okay, I only got to find two. Two, if I can just find two more than just the family that I have right there, then God will just absolutely, in, in grace, rescue this place. He, he needed ten, he started with eight. Never could find two. And in this, verse 14, I'm sorry, not, I'm, I'm looking back at my other notes, I'm sorry. Um, verse 32 in chapter 18, it says... Um, then he said, let my, let my Lord not be angry, and I will speak one more time. Suppose ten are found there. He answered, I will not destroy it on the count of ten. But he, he could never find ten. He could never find ten. And, and the city was destroyed. I mean, think about that. People that, that Lot lived around day in and day out. And the evidence is, is they kept their faith so locked in that it really never spread, and people's hearts were really never 
really never turned to the Lord. In Ezekiel 22, you know what some of the biggest blame was pointed to in Ezekiel 22? Different story, different, different issues. The religious leaders. Yep. Pastors, priests, some of the most horrifying things that you read in media and see in culture are just projected from their own lives. And in Ezekiel 22, it says that prophets within her, like a roaring lion tearing its prey, they devour people, seize wealth and valuables, and multiply the widows within her. Her priests do violence to my instruction and profane my holy things. They make no distinction between holy and, 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 the, un, and the common. Uh, the, these people that were really called by God to love on people, they, they, they wouldn't even explain what's the difference between really knowing the Lord and following Him and just living life. They were just silent. They made no difference in it. And, and they abused people for their own profit. It says her officials within her are like wolves tearing their prey, shredding Shedding blood and destroying lives in order to make profit dishonestly. Her prophets plaster for them with whitewash by seeing false visions and lying deviations, saying this is what the Lord says when the Lord has not spoken. That somebody as a religious leader would stand up and say, all right, this is what God says. And God was silent on the issue the whole time. It's horrifying, isn't it, that somebody would abuse power like that? This is what it says in verse 30. This is God's own confession. I searched for a man, one person among them, who would repair the wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land so that I might not destroy it. But I found no one. God's people at this time were already being taken in exile to other countries. And God didn't reverse the process because in a heartbreaking evaluation, he looked and said... There's nobody I can use right here. So if I can't use by anybody in this moment, I've got to start growing some other people. And I'll use them later. And I'll still bring people back to me. But for right now, this, this will take place. And if you look at that, you, you, you see that our communities and, and the places around us. And, and, and when we look at the lives that we live beside on a day-in and day-out basis, how can we have a significant spiritual impact and influence. And I know we're thinking, oh, i got to do this, or i got to buy groceries for somebody that's hungry. I gotta, and and, and all, that are, all those are good works that are supposed to give glory to Jesus Christ. But our relationship to Jesus, what are we doing really with our own relationship with the Lord so that we're there, we're available, and we're in the gap, we're in the breach, we're in the spot of brokenness, and we're there really taking people to Him. Here, 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 here's, about, here's some words about family. I, I talked about Lot. Lot was, by God's evaluation, living a life that was pleasing him. I'm sure it wasn't perfect. I mean, he was cowering to the people that were around him and the culture around him, but, but his heart commitment to the Lord was, was solid. It was there. It was good. So, man, because he was found faithful, God must have done something just as a reward for him. Listen to this. Genesis 19, verse 29. So it was when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham and brought Lot out of the middle of the upheaval when he demolished the cities where Lot had lived. How did Lot, how, why did Lot receive the grace of God? Because Lot was such a good person? No, he, he, he received benefit from, from the relationship that Abraham had with God. We look at that and almost go, hang on a second, that, that doesn't seem right. I don't know if even that it seems fair. Just can I, because I think I would answer yes to this question. When you have a struggling season in life, when, when you haven't really lived to the, to, the, to the point that the Lord has called you to, 
would it be okay with you if you received spiritual blessings because someone else that knew you and loved you was faithful to the Lord, sought him in prayer, and on your behalf stood in a breach, stood in a, a gap of brokenness? Would you be okay receiving spiritual blessings for that? I would. I think we, we to some extent, all have. Proverbs 14, 29 through 27. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence and his children have a refuge. Parents, our walk with Jesus Christ is so significant. Why? Because when, when we're faithful to him and we're taking our kids regularly to the Lord and our relationship with the Lord is solid on, and it's on firm ground and, and we're spiritually aware and trying to be aware of the battles, the spiritual battles in our kids' lives, they have created because of that dedication, a place of refuge to come in and have conversations and ask questions and be vulnerable. And, and there's a spiritual awareness that we have that just is watching their life, that, that, that after a while is just the rhythm of our life and is there all the time, not just when something bad happens. But it really helps us to, to live in a way and our kids to live in a way and have an opportunity to live in a way where we experience God's closeness and a good relationship maybe like we never have. 1 Corinthians 7, verses 14 and 20. This one's hard. This one is super difficult, but just so we understand that, that this isn't just a God thing in the Old Testament, but he's consistently himself in character and function. He applies it to a marriage situation, okay? Now, I'm not telling you this one's easy. I'm just I'm going to read what it says. Verse 14. For the unbelieving husband is made holy by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, and as it, as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let him leave. A brother or sister is not found in such cases. God has called you to live in peace. Wife, for all you know, you might save your husband. Husband, for all you know, you might save your wife. This is in response to this question. Is it okay if, if I'm a believer and my spouse isn't, if I've given my life to Christ and they're not a believer, is it okay for me as a spouse to just say, for that reason and that reason alone, I'm going to leave my marriage? Lord, is that okay? God says out of his word to give guidance and purpose to, to not just marriage, but, but, but to all that's going on. No. But for a reason. God says, if, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, and you're married to someone who does not believe in Jesus Christ as Savior. If they're willing to continue that relationship with you. And I know many times when, when people search into the scriptures because of divorce and different things. It, it, it is a big struggle. And, and when there's unfaithfulness, the, the Lord speaks because he knows our hearts have a really difficult time with life. Sometimes there's someone that just decides they're going to leave. And, and there is nothing in this world that you can do to stop it. Sometimes for somebody to stay, um, it, the, the conditions are just so extreme um, and, and th that you just can't fathom it. God's drawn a pretty finite circle around one question here. If somebody in love and compassion says, I, I, I want to be married to you, then what he says is, as a believer, in, in, the, in the brokenness of what their relationship is not with Jesus, then, then you, have a, you have an amazing opportunity to stand in the breach, to stand in a hole of brokenness and show Jesus to them often, day after day after day. And because of that, that may be how that person comes to Christ. Now, what needs to be attached to just what I just said is about six counseling sessions. 
Because I know in your minds and in my minds, we're looking at it going, is it that clear cut? It can't be that clear cut. Relationships, are relationships not one of the most difficult things that we all deal with? And when it comes to marriage, when it comes to divorce, I, I, I honestly, I get nervous just going, here's, here's some verses. And, and, and then I pray and ultimately come off a stage. If you ever want to have those conversations, let's have those conversations, plural, lengthy, to find God's will for what he's directing you towards. But, but I, I just want you to do this this morning. Consider the purpose. That God has shown a history of saying, where are people whose hearts are really dedicated to me that, that will stand there and, and spiritually be, be holy, live righteously, and, and they will pray hard, and they will pray long, and, and they will pray with passion over the needs of the people that they're connected to. Where are those people? Because God desperately wants those people to stand in the, in, in the evidence and the reality that sin has blown something up. He has put a hole in life and in emotions and everything and in culture, and it has just blown a huge hole. He wants to just, like, if, if you will slide down in it and just be there for whatever might be coming, to stand in the breach and be that person, then, then, then that's something that most of the time, honestly, and, I, and as I studied this, I said, God, wh wh where's, where's the things that we can just say, okay, I got to do this and this and this and this and this, that this is how people have to see me? So much of this is, is not being seen at all. So much of this is our quiet time with the Lord. So much of this is how do I seek him on a regular basis? So the fruit of what comes out of me is righteousness. So the fruit of what comes from my conversations and my parenting and my actions and my hanging out with people and all that stuff, the, the fruit of that is something that he's using. In my life, I can see evidence. I saw it this past week. I had a couple of situations um, just where people were there and prayed with me, spent time with me at a funeral service. Um, Troy... Um, and, and, and not to kind of single him, Troy just had something laid on his heart that he prayed um, with Wendy and I about, just like the Lord put, him, put something on his heart. And because of his relationship with the Lord, my life got great encouragement. I didn't walk into that environment going, hey, I'm, I'm going to get something right now. I need something. It was just, it was a gift of grace. But it came out of, as a result of, of time. I had no clue of what's going on between Troy and the Lord. There's all kinds of things like that that I've seen in my life. And, but you know, what we, you know what sometimes slippery slope we go down? We fall in love with receiving that. And we fall in love with the blessings that we experience sometimes because of just the goodness and faithfulness of God and the dedication and the spiritual relationship someone else has. Because they've created an atmosphere that I can just come in and be me. I... I, I I, I use it and maybe I abuse it. And I'm just not aware of it. And I fall in love with those kind of things. But it's not just for me to use. It's for me to be. Does that make sense? I mean, you think about it. Sometimes, um, and, and I've, I've, seen, I've seen this in many cases. Th there's one spouse. And, and guys, I'm a husband, so I'm just going to trash us for a minute, okay? Is that all right? Yeah, most, most ladies nod their head yes and they smile. They said, well, I already started this morning um, on the way to church. Um, <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm going to just trash us for a second. Guys, you think about the goodness that we've seen in our families that's really a result of the godliness of not us because we've had our eyes on some junk and we've had attitudes and we've done all this stuff. It's the godliness of our wives 
that we've seen goodness in our home. And we've fallen so in love with it that we just let them do it. Really? I mean, you, know, you get where I'm coming from? Look, I, I don't like to just say stuff like I'm, I'm, I'm angry. I don't, I don't like the angry message that comes out at, at, in, in church services sometimes. But, but do, you get, do we get that? And you know what happens? People get worn out. People get worn out with that kind of relationship many times. Because they, they, they feel like the weight of the world is on them when it really just started as a sincere heart that was seeking Jesus. So you know what the fix is in so many ways? If more of us will have that kind of relationship, if more of us will fill those big gaps in life that sin has blown holes in so that the Lord sees us as usable and that we, we truly walk in that kind of closeness with Jesus, but then also in encouraging others that are really pursuing that as well. And you say, how do I do it? I just, I just want to read two simple things. Number one, live righteously. Ugh, that doesn't sound fun. Live righteously. How do we do that this week? Um, pick one thing that you know and I know. If we can pick one thing that we know that we can be obedient to the Lord in, that he clearly says this is something that I want you to do. And, and let's start. Let's do this. Let's start with a private thing. Let's not check a box off that's public and seen. Let's start in a private area of life and be faithful to him in that. And, and there might be people around, but you and I might be trying to practice something that he's taught us. In private, we're trying to practice it with people. They're not aware of it, but we're just, we're, we're, we're trying. If we'll do one thing as a comparison, that means that we're more righteous today or tomorrow than we were Friday or Saturday. Live righteously and pray persistently. This kind of relationship will not come easily without a regular conversation schedule with the Lord. And what do I say schedule? I have to schedule it for me. I have to. Um, I'm an introvert. I don't go, to, I don't, I don't I, it's just not the natural thing for me to explode into conversations with people, even though many of you have been like, I could have got home an hour earlier if Derek would have just shut up. Fair point. I've gotten blamed for a lot of marriage issues. And that's probably true. Somebody didn't get home an hour. They got home an hour late because they were talking to me. I get it. But I don't, I don't easily go into a lot of conversations. I didn't grow up with my dad living with us where I saw him day in and day out. So I grew a habit of not talking to the father that I, that contributed towards my life. So I've always struggled with regular, persistent prayer. So I have to schedule it. That's why I said schedule. That's why I said schedule. But after a while, it starts to come out of just the overflow of what we desperately want. And if we'll practice those two things, especially privately, you'll start to, and I'll start to see the overflow happening in our lives. And and I don't mean. I, I hope this morning hadn't felt like a rabbit trail to you. I hope it hadn't felt like where did like we? I thought we were here in Acts. Chapter 8, these four verses that just seem so kind of simple. Just out of that, because you know what those, those people had? Those people were sent somewhere, and, and they had a front-line ministry. And I think sometimes we think of our front-line ministry as the thing that I signed up for, kind of the title or the office that I have. But so much of what we need right now as, as an individual and as families and as a Reedy Fort Community Church and as a, and a, as a Jesus culture and as a kingdom culture 
we need faithful relationships with Jesus in the private of our lives so that we fill more gaps for what's attacking this world in sin so we can be part of what God's doing in healing and in salvation and in growth in all those areas. And I pray to God you have time to do that this week. And I hope he shows it to you. Would you mind just bowing your head for just a moment? If you're at home watching online, I just want to invite you just to take a few moments. Um, our praise band is going to be playing and, and leading in just a moment. And, and during that song, if, if there's someone that you would like to pray for, maybe it's someone that you've sensed, that you've stood in the gap for, and you know, you, it's not that you doubt that God, you, not that you doubt that God has used you, but you desperately want to see God have way in their life. And your commitment this morning might need to be renewed to really stand firm in that gap. Or you just, maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's become hard and you want to pray with someone or just yourself right now. I want to invite you to come forward while this song's going on. If, if you hear this this week, you know, this morning, you feel like, you know what, man, I, like we need to do that as a couple. We don't just need to keep parenting the way we've been parenting. We, we need to be close with the Lord ourselves so the overflow of that becomes our parenting. And you want to come up and you just want to pray for your kids and you want to pray for your own relationships with Jesus. I just want to, invite, I just want to let you know that can be done. If you want to pray yourselves or you want to pray with someone, man, we will, we will be here for you. But I just, I pray in just a clear direction where I really have confidence that God wanted us to go this morning. That whether it's people that you have authority and leadership over, whether it's your community around you and, and you just need to be deeper just in a relationship with Jesus for those people because you've seen the directions of that social circle go where it shouldn't go and you want to really see that reclaim for the Lord. If it's your family, if it's a friend, if it's just somebody that you see life going in a, in a dark direction, and you don't even know what to do tangibly, but this is something you know you can do. And right now, just speak to the Lord about it. Ask for his grace and mercy and guidance and direction on the walk that you can have for him as you stand where you are, listen to this word, scattered. Not in a disorganized way, but in a way that we represent the seed of the gospel landing on some piece of ground, soft or hard, able to take root and grow for him. Father God, thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. Lord, help us this morning to hear your word and be obedient. In these moments, while words are sung, we pray, Lord, that our hearts are devoted and concentrating on you. God, I pray that if, uh, that, that if someone doesn't lift this song in, in volume, God, that they just have moments now while nothing else is going on. We give them the freedom to not feel responsible to sing, but Lord, feel called to pray to you. Because, God, so much of the change that you want in this world starts inside of us and with you in the private areas and times of our lives. Lord, guide and lead. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Would you stand up? In just a few moments, we'll be able... This service is going to be over, but right now, I want to encourage you towards this. You have a moment right now that if your heart is heavy and you want to pray, you don't need to sing. You don't need to do anything. You have time with the Lord right now.